This podcast is brought to you by Racing New South Wales, Sky Racing and Ingress. New South Wales TAB punters, here is your chance to share in $1.3 million in prize money when the Kosciuszko is run at Royal Randwick on October the 17th. You could share in the ownership of one of the 14 runners in the world's richest race for country trained horses. You're in the running if you purchase a $5 ticket via the Tab app or at your local TAB outlet or enter as many times as you like by purchasing multiple tickets. Ticket sales close on September the 7th and 14 winners will be drawn on September the 9th. If your name or the name of your syndicate is drawn, you'll then have the opportunity to select a horse to race in your entry. Then your negotiating skills will be put to the test as you endeavour to reach agreement with the owners regarding a prize money split. Bell Flyer won it in 2018, Handle the Truth won it last year. You could share in the ownership of the 2020 Kosciuszko winner when the big race is run at Randwick on October the 17th. Tickets are available right now via your Tab app or at your local TAB outlet. I'd be very surprised if there's a jockey in Australia currently who's driving more miles to race meetings than Adrian Late. Here's a sample of his workload. We're about to talk to him on Sunday the 19th of July as he drives to Scone in the Hunter Valley. Let's work backwards. Yesterday he was at Kembla Grange. Friday the 17th he was at Dubbo. Monday the 13th he was at Tamworth. Friday the 10th he was at Scone. Thursday the 9th he was at the Grafton Cup meeting and so on and so on. He actually drove to every one of those meetings and I'll ask him shortly how he gets his head around that kind of punishment. On top of the race riding and travelling, Adrian somehow manages to ride track work two or three mornings a week at Randwick and Rose Hill. He's the second eldest of a family of four born to Neville and Barbara Late and he was going to be a jockey from the age of reason. His dad, Neville, was a busy and successful jockey for many years in the southeast racing region, and he's still turning out winners as a trainer. Adrian was sidelined for several months after a nasty fall at Newcastle last year, but he's made a remarkable return to race riding in 2020. He's never worked harder, but his efforts have been rewarded with a lot of rides and a regular flow of winners. And I'm very grateful for the trouble he's taken to talk to us on the podcast on his way to Scone. Where the hell are you, mate? Um, I've just poured into the Kentucky Fried at Musselbrook. <laughs> you keep away from the Kentucky Fried. You've I'm got not a going light. in there, no. <laughs> <laughs> no. Hey, Adrian, I happened to see the first race at Kembler on Saturday, won by a first starter called War Weapon from the Gerald Ryan stable. Um, there were six runners. He was one of two two-year-olds uh, against older horses. Mate, hasn't he got some natural talent? I think uh, I think Gerald might have found a, another smart one there. Mm. He just has not no idea what he's doing, does he? No, not at all. He's very green at the moment. I actually, I think I was with Gerald when he bought him at. Um, if he bought him at Inglis last year, mm. I was sort of in two minds to keep riding at that stage. So I was doing a little bit of an apprenticeship with Gerald at the, at the sales and he was showing me this and that. And mm. 
Mm. He's got a good eye for a horse, so I thought I'd tag along with him. And I think he was one of them that he bought, but he's um, he looks like he'd be pretty special. Oh, I think so. Well, it was great to see you win a race for your dad the other day at Wagga, horse called Propose a Toast. I had a look at the replay, Adrian. A couple of swoopers were charging late, but you got him home. Yeah, he's a, he's another two-year-old. I think that was an open maiden as well. But he um mm. he, he ran a nice race to start before on the wet. He ran third. He got back a bit and over raced and did a few things wrong. But he put it together the other day, so it's good for dad. Since returning from injury, you've thrown yourself into your work with great dedication, and you're one of several Sydney jockeys who are rarely out of their cars these days. What is it? Four and a half hours to Dubbo three and a half to scone and return, how do you do it? I think it's pretty much the normal now, John. Um, we've we've got accustomed to a few of us riding in the city and then um, like we, we've got to venture far and wide to, to make a good living. But it's, um, it's one of those things, you, you go to the races, you come home, do your form for the next day and then pretty much get straight into bed if you can wind down. It's long drives, long days. Mm-hmm. But um, I think once you get in, get into a rhythm, you get used to it. If you have a few weeks off, then it's hard to get back into that rhythm. Yeah, yeah. Are you a good sleeper? Oh yeah, yeah. The kids don't wake me up. No, well, see, Adrian, that's what's sticking to you with, with the, your work schedule. Yeah, I think um, lucky my, my fiance, she's she's the best. She um, she takes care of the boys. We've got two little boys, and mm. she she looks after those and. Keeps me going. Um, whatever I need, like she'll do speed maps and everything for me in the morning while I'm having a sweat in the bar. She'll do the scratching, the papers there ready for me to go. Mm. It's a lot easier. I've just got to see where I'm going, what time I've got to be there. Just do the form on the horses and um, she takes a lot of the load off. Yep, and then hit the road. Pretty much, yeah. See you tonight. <laughs> you often have a ride for the Snowden team at the Kembla or Newcastle Saturday meetings, and this is obviously a result of your input at Randwick. When do you go there? I go there um, Tuesdays and Thursdays for Peter and Paul. Mm. Um, Peter's been very good to me. I mean, if you work hard for him, he'll, he'll reward you with with some decent rides and things. He um, He's a hard taskmaster, he, but... He's in a position where he's got to be, I suppose. He's got to get results. He's got a big stable and they need to turn over and get success. And you tell me you try to do one morning for Gerald Ryan at Rose Hill when it's physically possible. Some weeks you can't do it. Well, I try to get there Fridays and Saturdays if I can. Um, like last Friday, I was at Dubbo. There was no way I could get there. I had to leave at 6.30 in the morning and I was mm. in the bath at 5. So, so Gerald's pretty good. He works with me that way. Um He's, he's got a decent-sized string too, and he's got a lot of jockeys coming in and out, so it's pretty competitive there as well. But I, was, um, I get there as much as I can. I was talking to your mum, Barbara, the other day. In fact, we had a couple of conversations, and she tells me your dad was so keen for you to become a jockey that he'd drag you out of bed early morning for track work, uh, you know, get you to jump on four or five horses and then send you to school. Yeah, he'd, um, I think there was a few miss, miss messages that didn't get to mum from the school that we intercepted before she found out. Um, a couple of days off here and there. And yeah, he used to we'd go to the track and he'd, I'd get home and he'd drop me to school because I'd miss the bus. 
And then um, he'd be there at 3.30 to pick me up. We'd go and do afternoons. And then um, the odd day or two here and there, he might have caught me wagging at the stable. Yeah. But, uh, he used to just <laughs> give me a few more boxes to do while I was there. <laughs> yeah. So I think, I think he knew quite, quite early on that that's where I was going to go. Your mother told me your first ride in a race was on a tiny little mare called Corio Kate at Canberra. She said uh, about 14 hands, tiny mare. Yeah, she, she was little, but she was a gutsy little thing. Mm. Um, I'll never forget that one because a quad hit, missed her and hit me in the head and it chipped <laughs> one of my teeth. That was my first, first ride in a race. <laughs> she didn't tell me that. <laughs> I don't think she knew. Not the enamel off it. Yeah, she was a tiny little thing. She remembered your first winner, a three-year-old cult called Artistic Gull, trained by your dad in a class one at Gulban about five months after that first ride. Yeah, on the old Gulban track. Mm. It's, um, they don't race there anymore. It's, it's funny, you drive past and you see the old wobbly wonky rail there. Uh, it's now a, a trotting track, I think, on the inside. But it, mm. Yeah, that was, I can't even remember what year it was, John, but Artistic Gold, I won a few on him. He's a lovely little horse. Mm. Your dad, Neville, has no idea how many winners he rode, but it was a pretty good number because he was in the top bracket of riders in the southeast for a number of years, and your mum reminded me that he fought out a couple of premierships with that great character, the late Ted Doon. <laughs> yeah, Teddy, he was, a, he was a phenomenal person. Yeah, Dad was, um, he worked for the public service through the week, and as you know, back then it was more of a more of a hobby than a profession for, for jockeys then. And um, he worked hard. He provided well. He, um, he'd, he'd ride on a Saturday because there was no Sunday racing. And, mm. and that was pretty much it. They, they worked through the week and rode on a Saturday, did their track work of a, of a morning before work. And, mm. and um, yeah, we never went without anything, Johnny. He always no. put a – mum would say it's steak one week and chops and chips the next. So that's how it sort of went. <laughs> Alternated. <laughs> yeah. How well, your dad, your, your dad has made his mark as a trainer too, Adrian, with horses like Ken Quest. He won 15 races. Sartha yeah. Mare, who won a Black Opal. And, of course, the brilliant Karuta Queen, who won six races, including the 2011 Magic Millions. Uh, without a doubt, the highlight of your dad's racing career. Tommy Berry was the jockey that day. I don't think you ever rode her in a race. No, I was in England most of her, her career. Oh, oh. Her first through, up until she sort of won the Magic Millions and then went on to the, the Golden Slipper after that. But I was, um, I'll never forget it because it was six, six o'clock in England. I was living in Chester at the time mm-hmm. and um, it was freezing cold there and I flicked the TV on because I couldn't sleep and I having a coffee and I was watching this, I was watching the Magic Millions and I, I seen a win. Mm. I think um, within two minutes I'd rang him and asked him if I could snip him some money for a ticket home. Is that right? Because of the, I think it was 40 <laughs> degrees that day on the Gold Coast. Um, it was about minus 15 in Chester, John, I'll tell you that much. Yeah, exactly. We'll talk about your little English trip later. You saw the wisdom in getting some experience with the city stable midway through your apprenticeship and you were very fortunate to gain a spot with the very experienced and the very astute Les Bridge, and you were to stay there for two years. Great learning curve. It was fantastic. Um, 
I did the last couple of years of my apprenticeship with Les. Um, I was pretty green at the time, um, wet behind the ears, you could say. I'd, I'd, mm. sort of, I'd ridden enough in Canberra and, and the surrounds, but not not at that level until um, I moved to Sydney. I'd been up and back a few times with riding Dad's horses and mm. a few of um, other trainers from Canberra like Archie Turner and 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 others like that. And then um, mm. Les got me and Larry Olsen's put the polish on. And that was um, Kevin Moses and Craig Carmody. They were all riding there at the time. Mm. And they um, they got hold of me and Larry screwed me down and said, this is how we're going to do it. And he taught me a hell of a lot. Yeah. Larry's a wonderful bloke and he was a great tutor and a wonderful rider himself. Oh, for sure. I think a lot of kids, if you're willing to listen to, to older jockeys like that, you'll never, never not learn off them. Just watching them, watch what you're doing, watch them, take little things away and ask questions. Mm. And I did that with Larry and he was good. Um, he taught me a lot. He used to just sort of show me the ins and outs of a horse, more not getting on a good horse or where you are in a race, but the feel of a, a good horse as to a bad horse. Mm. And then um, he, he'd, he'd ask me questions. He'd say, well, what do you think about this one and that one? And then you sort of, you picked up on little things that he was talking about. Mm. You wrote a good number of winners for Lesbridge, but a horse called London Gambler was your personal favourite. You had only three race rides on him, but one of them was a win at Randwick in 1992, and it meant a lot to you at the time. He, he was my um, my first winner in, in town for Les. Um, mm. Probably... A, like I looked after him too. We had a lot to do with him at the stables. As you know, when you're an apprentice, you live at the stables too. So you, you're around them all the time and you get a bit attached to them. He was one of my little favourites there. He mm. wasn't an overly big horse, but he tried hard. Mm. And I'll never forget Les saying to me, "You don't you move on him until you top the rise. And then when you do, give him a squeeze and he'll run. And mm. he did. Yeah. <laughs> and he won. Yeah, Les knows his horse. Like Still going strong, Les Bridge and... In his mid-70s, got to be around 75, 76, as keen as ever and as talented as ever. I see him every couple of days, John. I still call him the boss. Mm. Um, I, have a, I have a coffee. He doesn't drink coffee, but I have a coffee with him mm. when I'm at Randwick. As soon as I finish um, Peter and Paul's, I'll, I'll go and see how he's going. and Good on you. See how his health is and everything like that. Yeah. Another lovely little accolade to come your way in the very early 90s, and you didn't tell me about this, your mother did, was your selection as Ducks of the AJC Apprentices School, and with it came a brand new saddle. That would have been a Perkins saddle, wouldn't it? Uh, I think it would have been, mm. yeah. I ended up giving it to Dad. He's got it at the stable somewhere. Yeah, what a thrill. <laughs> Uh, it was, yeah, that was the Ducks of the School in Canberra through the taste. Got Ducks there. And then um, Mark Newnham got the Ducks when I I moved to Sydney that year. Mm-hmm. I think I was runner-up to him. Yeah, yeah no, I'd, hadn't, I'd forgotten about that. Mm. You're, t- you're too modest. <laughs> now, <laughs> now, Adrian, when you came out of your time, you didn't know what to do with yourself and you became a little bit nomadic, for want of a better word. You drifted up to Queensland where you stayed for six months or so, didn't ride a winner. What was in your mind at this time? 
I wasn't sure. I was just sort of floating around. Um, I was up there with a. I, I think I was just a bit disheartened on the game, but um, I'd I'd come out of my apprenticeship and I'd moved to Maroubra. Things weren't sort of taking off, so I, I was looking for greener pastures. Um, it didn't happen there. I floated down to Tasmania for a little while. For Keith Mully said there was a shortage of, of riders there. He was um, the head steward at the time, so I went and stayed with him. He was good friends with Dad. Uh, he was George Mully's son, Alfred Mully. Mm-hmm. Um, so I sort of floated around there for oh, probably a month or so and then went back to Brisbane. Mm-hmm. And then I think I just I was ready to chuck it in, so I moved back to Canberra or to Queenian with Mum and Dad. Mm-hmm. And... Um, Stephen Lee on the mid-north coast at Coffs Harbour rang me to come up. So I went up there for a few months, sort of wasn't happy, a bit homesick, so I moved back to Queenie once again. Mm. Well, eventually yeah. you found your way to Randwick, 94, 95, around that mark, riding work for Gay and for Graham Rogerson. And you rode yeah. a few winners for both stables, so you were on your way. Yep. <laughs> I was back at it again. Um, that carried on for a few more years, and I think that was when probably Sunday racing didn't long come in after that. So it was sort of a an, another day of racing, and it was a bit busier. And mm. I was riding a lot of track work. I think I was got to a point where I was knocking around with a few of the wrong crowd and lost my way again, mm. and ended up once again back in um, back in Canberra or Queenie, trying to kick off. Again. Mm. There was another very good Randwick trainer, Adrian, in your time there, uh, f- with whom you formed a wonderful friendship, the late Bernie Burns. Quietly spoken, very astute, the sort of bloke uh, who didn't say much, but when he did, it paid to listen. Oh, yeah, he was, Bernie was, um, as you say, very quietly spoken. He didn't, didn't say a lot, but he knew, he was likewise, he knew his horses and he knew when they could win. And he'd put you on and just told you where you'd be and you'd give him a good ride and and you'd win on him. Mm. Oh, no, great There wasn't a lot of thought. Yeah. We'll yeah just, very good. We'll just pause for a moment, Adrian, to clear a commitment yep. on the podcast and we'll be right back. English sales graduates dominated the Group 1 scene right through the 2019-2020 season. They got away to a flying start when Samadout won the Wink Stakes, the first Group 1 of the season. Vow and Declare won the Melbourne Cup, Exceedance won the Coolmore Stud Stakes, Super Seth won the Caulfield Guineas, Natoya the Doncaster, Quick Thinker the Australian Derby, and Nature Strip the TJ Smith, just to name a few. In total, Australia's leading thoroughbred auctioneers provided 22 individual Group 1 winners. They had the biggest number of stakes winners who won the biggest number of races. Inglis sold the highest number of three-year-old Group 1 winning Colts and the highest number of stakes winning fillies and mares. Won't be long now and the Group 1 round starts all over again with the Wink Stakes at Randwick on August the 22nd. You can bet the English graduates will be right in the thick of the action again in the new racing season. We tend to forget that you've had valuable experience overseas. Now, you mentioned earlier 
that you had a stint in England in 2010 when it was 15 below at Chester. It was a working holiday, but you finished up staying there for about 10 months. Most of your rides were on outsiders and you didn't ride a winner, but you enjoyed every minute of it. Yeah, I, I enjoyed the summertime. <clears throat> um, I don't know about the wintertime on the yeah. all-weather tracks over there. Made a lot of friends, uh, had a lot of fun, and um, oh, I'd, I wouldn't mind going back, but I don't think it's um, it's worth it where Australia's got such a, a strong amount of racing here and the money's so good. It's, mm. it's um, one of those things that I think a lot of the English boys are busting their guts to get here now. Mm. Oh, yeah, we've if seen. You, if you're sort of not in the top tier there, it's a very hard, hard slog. You've got to work hard and your rides aren't flowing like they do here. Did you go around at any of the better-known tracks in England? Yeah, I rode at, um, I rode at Newmarket. I rode on a handful of tracks there. I was on the Rolly Mile there. Um, mm. Rode at Newbury. Where else? Salisbury. Mm. They're all um, undulating tracks, a lot of them. Bath was an experience. Bath, yeah. Uh, Bath, yeah. I remember I, I had a ride in a mile race there and I walked out and it was about 20 metres across the track was the start for the mile and I thought, where's the turn? Yeah. And it's <laughs> half a mile down, turn around and half a mile back up pretty much. Good heavens. <laughs> yeah. I remember Richard Hills, he said to me, he goes, don't try a rail here, mate. You, you won't get around the place. <laughs> Did he? You've been to mainland China, Adrian, a number of times where professional racing is slowly developing. What were the administrators looking for? Were they hoping experienced riders from overseas would provide tuition for the Chinese jockeys? I think uh, we went for an invitational race. It's the the one race they have on every year in their big – they have an equestrian carnival, which is show jumping shows, and then they have their race days as well. Um, we just rode in the, the one race over there um, on Mongolian ponies for their traditional racing, I suppose, not the thoroughbreds. And it was just an invitation for international jockeys that we all, um, we've all rode on those those ponies. On a, it's a big track in Wuhan. It's a lovely big, big centre, but I think they've got a lot of work to do before they sort of get it right. Um, mm. I think the government's a bit worried about Gambling there, if they opened it up in mainland China, how I think it'd be twice the size of Hong Kong, but the poverty would be a, a little bit worse than what it is now. Mm-hmm. But that's been going on for I had had a lot of fun there. We went, I've been about five times. They put us up in a hotel for a week. We go to the shows. We've been to operas. Um, it's amazing that the horses that you see with what they do in a big arena when they're doing a, it's a pretty much a an opera show with horses and the Mongolian um, riders come down from upper Mongolia. And that, honestly, John, I've never seen kids do things on horses that they do. Really? They are unbelievable. Acrobats mm. on the back of a horse. Good heavens. Don't you try it. <laughs> no, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be going to try it. Don't worry. <laughs> you had a terrific trip in 2014 during Dubai World Cup week. While you were there, you got to ride some track work at that incredible race course they've got, Maidan, which boasts the world's longest grandstand. Yes. Um, I went over on a, 
I'd got suspended here. It was a Newcastle meeting, and I had a few weeks off. So I, I had a mate there, Darrow O'Donoghue, who was riding for Godolphin at the time, um, him and Kieran Fallon. So I went over for a couple of weeks with them, and I thought, well, I'm not coming all the way over here not to go and jump on a few. So I rode a few work for uh, Peter Chappelheim from England. Mm-hmm. He was there for the for the cup week. Um, so this was probably about a week or a fortnight out from before the cup, so it was leading up to that. And I spun a few round on, on the grass there, and I think the first one I did, I stuffed the work up completely because I was looking at the grandstand. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So the next one I got it right. But, uh, yeah, that was fun. The races, racing over there is really strong. <clears throat> um, James Doyle was there when I was there riding for Godolphin. He was apprenticed in England when yeah. I was there. Was he? And yeah. I knew him from then, so we sort of – we reconnected. It was good, and then he's been over here since a few times. So mm. it's a small world racing now with the the way the world's got. You can fly anywhere in pretty much twenty four hours. Mm. But um, yeah, it was fun. You mentioned earlier that uh, Peter and Paul Snowden put you on a nice horse from time to time. Perhaps the nicest one you've ridden for them is Military Zone, who's now won a couple of Group Threes and about six hundred thousand dollars. But you rode him when he won his maiden at Newcastle. Did he feel like a good horse? He did, yeah. I'd, I'd ridden him in a few trials prior, um, probably a, a preparation before he had his first start. And I remember saying to the Triple Crown boys, I think you've got a got a handy little horse here, and he proved me right. But um, when I rode him at Newcastle, he come out like a bull out of gate. Mm. He head up in the air, he's just charging forward. He, I managed to get him to settle. He popped his head down and then he put him away in the straight. He was, mm. Once he did that, and he, I think from then on he just started to learn and, and gradually got better. Mm. Another young trainer who's utilising your services regularly at the moment is Cameron Crockett. You wrote a few for him at Dubbo on Friday. He's based at Scone now, but he still gets back to the Western Districts often. Yeah, I've had a lot of luck with Cameron. We won uh, cha- uh, one of the country championship heats Oh, a couple of years ago at Mudgee. Um, I think he had seven runners. I was on the outsider and managed to sneak up the fence and pop out and got around Huey and won it on his on, his, on Huey was on his favourite. Mm. Um, but yeah, no, Cameron and I have uh, we're striking up a pretty good good combination at the moment. Um, we've had a few winners here and there. I, I like how he trains them. He likes how I ride them. So we're sort of we're starting to click. Last November, the good luck came to an abrupt end. Old Lady Luck turned her back on you. You're riding one of Chris Wallers at Newcastle. You're coming around the home turn. A split presents itself in front of you. You dive through the gap and then all hell broke loose. Do you remember it clearly? Yes, John. I'll tell you what day it was. It was the 5th of October. I'd ridden a winner in the first for John Steinmetz. Mm. Uh, This was the last race. We were coming around the corner and I was just got the three deep, was going forward, nothing around, plenty of space, and he just put in a wrong one. Down he went. Uh, Chad Lever was following me on another one of Chris Wallace and he went over the top of me. Uh, couldn't have, he couldn't have avoided either way. And, yeah, I had um, had popped a few injuries out of that. Yeah. I'd, I'd torn one, one of my glutes mm. on my, my butt. Yeah. Um, I'd, I'd fractured three vertebrae. The wings on your vertebrae, they were cracked. Yeah. Um, 
was three on one side and two on the other. And then uh, that wasn't too bad, but it was a few weeks later that I I really was uncomfortable. And um, I said to Carolina, I, I just can't get comfy. And she said, what's the matter? And I said, I feel like I've got a pain in my back. Mm. So she sort of put me in the car. We're on the way to the hospital and it, and it eased. And I said, oh, we'll go home. But then um, she wouldn't have it, so luckily I had her with me. She took me into the emergency, and I had um, it was a blood clot moving through the kidney. Good heavens! So yeah, so I was stuck in there for a week at Norwest, and um, that sort of that I was there for a week on a lot of antibiotics, which reduced the clot and and got rid of it. But mm-hmm. then after that, I was having trouble walking, so. Um, Dr. Duckworth referred me to a surgeon, Dr. Cree, who works on Ty Angland and um, Corey Brown. And he saw me on a Wednesday, I think, and then he put me in the surgery on the Saturday, which happened to be my birthday. Mm. What a present. So he, yeah, exactly. He, um, he had to – there was a lot of nerves in, in my spine that were compressed, and he had to get in there. He, what he thought was going to be quite a simple operation and just scrape away a bit of bone to make room for the nerves ended up being three and a half hours on the table. Mm. And he had to do a what they call a neurolysis and a um, disectomy. Mm. So it was all the lower part of my back, which is now good. Um, fortunately, I'm, I've recovered well and everything's, everything's on the up. Well, when you came back, mate, you were lean, mean and hungry. And, and oh, you're yeah. making every post a winner. I think, John, a month on your back in, in your bedroom will, will make you quite hungry. Don't worry. Yeah. So I was probably coming back a few weeks earlier than I should have, as, as most people do, most of the boys do. We mm. always sort of try and rush back because I'm one of those people that can't sit still. Mm. And, um, yeah, it took me a little while to get going, but then I was getting a winner a week sort of thing. And it, then it just dried up a bit and I was, I was getting down. Um, I actually spoken to uh, Zulong Thoroughbreds and I'd lined up a job mm. to be uh, their racing manager. Yeah. And then COVID struck. Mm. So with COVID, we were put into our zones and the rest is history. I've just been flat out since. Yeah. I know you'd like to make special mention of your manager, Greg Burke, who does a terrific job balancing your schedule. Now, he virtually weighs up which meeting is likely to be the most productive for you. He locks in the rides, rings you up and tells you where you're going. Yep. Yeah, he he I leave everything up to Greg. He's um well he's an ex jockey, so he, he knows the, the routine. He'll ring me at the end of the week and say, How'd you go with it? Did you how how's the travelling? How's the body? And if I tell him I'm fine, he'll just rip in for the next week. He's um mm. he's pretty good. He doesn't doesn't give many people a rest. He's he's on the phone straight away. Mm-hmm. Um, he's juggling myself, Jeff Penzer and Sean Geimer. So he's he's got us going in three different directions half the time. I don't know how he keeps up with it, let alone me. <laughs> Is that right? You mentioned your partner Carolina. Uh, you've got a very busy life because you've got a fourteen month old Charlie. You've got a yep. three year old Liam. You've got a seven year old Rocco. And you've got a 16-year-old daughter, Rhiannon, who's now out in the world fending for herself. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, she's um she's in Canberra. She's in school down there. She lives with mum and dad. Yep. 
Um, the three boys live with us. Charlie's just at that age now. He's you've got to put one foot on him and one foot and one eye on Liam, and they're in different directions. <laughs> so it's it's quite hectic. I don't know how Carolina keeps up with them all, yeah. but she's um she's a bit of a general. She's got she pulls them in the gear. She gets them all lined up, ready for breakfast. It'll be a bit harder when they're all playing sport and going to school. I think hopefully I've I've sort of wound down a little bit by then, mm. and I can spend some more time with them, but. Sometimes they look at me like, who's the strange guy in the house? They don't see me that often because I'll be at track work. <laughs> and then by the time I get home, have a shower and go to the races, I get home late at night and they don't see me till the next day, only briefly. No. That's the price you pay, mate. That's the penalty. You tell That's me it. you're yeah. very comfortable at 55 kilos, but if somebody comes along with a really nice horse and says, hey, Adrian... Can you ride this 53 in 10 days? Oh, that'd be no worries, John. You'd, you'd manage it, yeah. Just stay out of Kentucky for a week and I'll be fine. <laughs> we'll close by getting you to confirm a rumour that's floating around at the moment that you and fellow jockey Blake McDougall might be getting into greyhound racing. You recently purchased a greyhound pup which you intend to race together. Yeah, I, I picked it out the other day with the with the boys with me. I think well, Rocco's Rocco picked it, but um, the, the guy that bred it, he was with me, and he sort of, I think he was a bit disheartened when I picked it because he wanted it. Mm. Anyway, um, yeah, there was a litter of seven, so we picked him. He's by by Ritza Lenny out of a a bitch called uh, Midnight Elsie. So we haven't named him yet. He's only very tiny. I've got to speak to Blake and. See if we can come up with a few names. He's got two little kids himself, so no doubt there'll be a few kids' names thrown in there somewhere. Yeah. We'll chuck them all in the hat and see what we come up with, and hopefully we have a little bit of luck. I hope you do, Adrian, and, mate, keep at it. You're at Musselbrook as we speak. You've got about an hour to go. How many rides at Scone? We've got five today, John, um, from race two to, to six. Yeah. So two, three, four, five, and six. Um. And then tomorrow's Wellington and sort of a I'll go to the track on Tuesday morning and then head off to Wyong for one of Beaver Schofields in the afternoon. That's all I've got there, just the one. And Wednesday off. It seems a hundred years away, I'll bet Wednesday. <laughs> <laughs> Wednesday's looking good, I'll tell you. <laughs> oh, I'll bet it is. Adrian, you deserve every winner that comes along, mate. Keep it up, keep up the good work, drive safely, and thank you so much for joining us on the podcast. Thank you very much, John. Anytime. Thank you. And this podcast was produced by Supernova Sound. This podcast is brought to you by Racing New South Wales, Sky Racing and Ingress.